look at the how, not just what are good habits, but how do we get those habits on board? Welcome to the Intuitive Woman Podcast with your host, Tina Conroy. Gain clarity, confidence, and trust in your inner wisdom. Explore spiritual topics, including intuition, healing, wellness, yoga, vibrant living, and more. Hi, everyone. Tina here. Welcome to the show. I'm always so grateful that you tune in every week. Another reminder to join my Facebook group. It is growing leaps and bounds. I don't want you to miss out. It is the Intuitive Woman Facebook group, and it is searchable on Facebook. I will invite you in. It is spiritual topics. We have tons of fun. And on Friday, we do live at 5 Eastern time at 5 p.m. I pull cards for intuitive readings. Now, the live at 5, as exciting as they are, if you are interested in a individual personal reading, please reach out to me. You can contact me through my website, tinaconroy.com, and just scroll down and find the tab for readings and connect with me, fill out a contact form, we'll have a conversation, and I'll get you on the schedule. I do readings all over the country by Skype, by FaceTime, or by phone, so you can be anywhere in the comfort of your home. I would love to pull a card for our show today. As I'm blessing the cards, take a nice deep breath in and exhale. And the card I've chosen is clean it up. That is so funny and interesting, although spirit is always playing with us, isn't it? That card couldn't be more befitting for today's show. We are talking about habits. So today's card, clean it up. Notice how it resonates with you. Perhaps you need to clean up your diet. Perhaps you need to clean up your thoughts. Or perhaps you need to clean up your physical structure, such as your car or your house or a certain bedroom or room in your home. So notice how that resonates with you. It ties right in to our show. I want to tell you a little bit about our guest and author. Guest and author Sylvie Hyman has extensive background in traditional and non-traditional healthcare practices and has incorporated health coaching in all her careers. She specialized in obstetrics and later on headed the open heart surgery unit at prestigious St. Francis Hospital in Roslyn, New York. She earned her doctor of chiropractic in 1989 and her degree in acupuncture in 1998. She then went on to serve 12 years as a member of the Board of Trustees of New York Chiropractic College and delivered a commencement address during that period. Dr. Hyman is also a certified feng shui consultant, a certified nutrition and wellness consultant, a certified senior fitness specialist, and a silver sneakers instructor. Although initially, Dr. Hyman specialized in weight management and lifestyle changes, she has expanded her area of expertise to other habits that affect body, mind, and spirit. And her book is Make It a Habit, Creating Health and Happiness for Your Body, Mind, and Spirit. And I'm so welcome to bring her on. Hey, Sylvie, how are you doing today? I'm great, Tina. How about you? I'm fantastic. I'm finally loving this wonderful weather we're having today. Isn't that unbelievable? Actually, too hot, wasn't it? Okay, oh. let's not complain because we've had a really interesting <laughs> spring, but I'm feeling that we're finally turning the corner. Absolutely. It's gorgeous here in Manhattan. It's gorgeous. Perfect. So I am so excited to have you on and to 
talk about your new book. And I know it's been a passion of yours to get it out into the world. And before we go there, and we're going to talk about Make It a Habit, which is so exciting for me. And I loved every minute of reading that book. It's one of those books that you have to read again and again. But before we go there, I always like to bring the listeners back a little bit of who you are, what's your character like, and how you were brought up. So can you bring us back a little bit to your upbringing? And we always delve into religion a little bit and spirituality. So take us back to when you were a little girl and your upbringing, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. And first of all, I really, before I start, I'd like to thank you very much for, for interviewing me and for this opportunity. So a little bit about myself. can't say that I was religious. Um, there were a lot of problems with that in my upbringing because we were refugees from World War II and there were a lot of conflicts with that aspect of it. But spiritual, yes. Um, I knew from very, very early on that God had spared me from a very, very bad fate. And he had spared me for a good reason. And so even as a little girl, I, I knew that in my own little way, I was searching for that reason. So spiritual, absolutely. And so take us a little bit through your grade school years or even your high school years. I know you've worn many different hats in the healthcare field. Did you always know that you wanted to be in the healthcare field? Yes, it, I think that's exactly when I started to look into what it is that God wanted me to do. I remember that I used to love playing nurse and doctor, and I guess all kids do that. But with me, it hit a tone that that's really what I wanted to do, which was to, to help people be healthy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so your first step into healthcare was uh, registered nursing. You became a nurse? Exactly. Yes. Actually, I had asked my father if I could go to medical school. He looked at me and he laughed. He said, no. <laughs> um, you know, in those days, uh, girls were not encouraged uh, to do things like that. So I said, well, what about nursing? And he said, oh, okay. So yes, I became a nurse and I worked 25 years as a nurse before I decided that high tech was enough for me and I was ready for some high touch. And that's when I decided to go to chiropractic college. Interesting. So what kind of level of nursing were you doing? What unit were you working in? Well, I did many years of obstetrical nursing, but for the past, uh, my career in the past, uh, I would say 15 years was in cardiac surgery. And what I did is I eventually was 11 years, I was a supervisor of the cardiac operating room at St. Francis Hospital right there in Roslyn in New York. And I loved it. I really loved it. But it was time to move on. So you said something very interesting. You said that you were ready more for touch. Did you, you felt that the medical community or the capacity that you were in was not as connective and that's what made you go into chiropractic? In order to answer that question, I, I would have to tell you that I believe that God sends us signals and messages throughout our lives, and that we just have to pay close attention to those signals. And 
Yeah, I did. I always paid close attention. What is it that you want me to do? And what happened is that I really met someone who was a chiropractor, and I didn't know anything about chiropractic. But somehow or another, something pulled me in that direction. I did a little bit of investigation, and I decided, you know, that's for me. That's what I'm going to do. And that's how I got into it. So you start the journey of chiropractic, and you do not practice chiropractic medicine anymore, do you? Not since I moved to New York City. Not since then, but I did up until four years ago. And along with chiropractic, a few years into my practice as a chiropractor, I also decided that I wanted to be an acupuncturist. I felt that it really worked hand in hand. And I had gone to China on an acupuncture trip with an acupuncturist and other people who were in the field of chiropractic, And fell in love with the acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And when I came back home, I went back to school and became an acupuncturist as well. So my practice in the last 18 years was a dual practice of chiropractic and acupuncture. But you want to know something, Tina? Once a nurse, always a nurse. And even though people called me Dr. Heyman, and it was a title in in front of my door that said, Dr. Heyman, I really treated all my patients as a nurse. And that's something that I felt I integrated that nursing into my chiropractic and acupuncture practice. So I really was practicing all three professions at the same time. It's so interesting because as I'm not sure if you know this, but the wellness center that I'm working at was just acquired by Northwell Health. And our new name is Center for Wellness and Integrative Medicine. And just recently, we had a very big gala opening to talk about what integrative medicine is. And it's finally on the East Coast because a lot of places are on the West Coast and Northwell has acquired us. And we have the fortune of being able to share Reiki and yoga and other modalities with a lot of people. And at the panel, we have an acupuncturist. We spoke about yoga. We spoke about Reiki. We spoke about nutrition. We talked about reflexology. We're hoping to have chiropractic and physical therapy and all the things that you're already doing and, you know, which is leading us up to the book, but you're already, we're combining all these wonderful practices of health and seeing people for the whole person. And I think that's what's important because not just seeing the person with the ailment or the illness, but as you were going through and learning more and developing more, you were beginning to see the person as the whole person. Did you always know you wanted to write a book or tell me about how this this book has birthed and come into existence? Well, you know, when I was a nurse, I did write for journals, for peer-reviewed journals, but I wrote very technical information about uh, operations. And But I, I did love writing at the time, and that was quite a while ago. And I remember one editor actually posed a very interesting question. She says, do you write with an accent? Are you, are you American? And I said, well, no, I'm not. And I think because of that, I was a little bit shy of continuing on the writing path. So in chiropractic, I never published. And in acupuncture, I never published. In all these professions, something was missing in terms of why people aren't 
well and getting better all the and staying better there was something there was something missing like a piece of the puzzle was missing in all the professions that I was practicing I became a health coach Tina and in that health coaching experience I learned a great deal about healthy habits. People, just because they are in the health professions, especially the Western, are not necessarily people who know how to live a healthy lifestyle. But during that time that I was, uh, and still am, a health coach, I was actually giving a workshop, in about six or so workshops on the habits of health. I figured, you know, well, we're going to talk about habits here. Why don't I start with my first lecture or my first workshop as just looking at habits in general. And then I'll go into the habits of health. Well, it was then that I became totally fascinated with the subject. I did some research, read a lot of books, and I just remember saying, this is it. I've got to write my own perspective, my own spin on habits. And so I didn't just want to write it about health or physical health per se. There were habits about everything, habits of the mind, habits of the spirit. And that's where I figured this is the time for me to do that. So that's how I came to write the book, Make It a Habit. There are a lot of books, obviously, on the market about habits. But how would you explain how this book is different or stands out or maybe even a way of how to read it? Would you prefer people to read it cover to cover, read it through and then go back, use it as as a workbook? What makes your book stand out a little different than some of another book that has a book about habits? Well, Tina, I think from what I have noticed and my research is that there aren't too many people in the healthcare field that I'm in who have written about habits. Books on habits have been written a lot about cognitive therapists, behaviorists, psychology. Some journalists have done it. Charles Duhigg is one of them. Uh, there have been lawyers who have decided that they wanted to write uh, books and habits was one of the topics that they've chosen. But there weren't that many people who had direct contact and experience in dealing with people and their health. So that's one way that I think that I am different from the other authors. And the other way is that I have also felt that I wanted to include in my book, not just my own thoughts and theories, but also what has been already written by other people so that people could have a choice as to the many different styles of habit formation. And basically... It's a book that tells you about how to create habits and also how to change the habits that you've created in the past that aren't really working for you, that are sabotaging you. So the book is mainly look at the how, not just what are good habits, but how do we get those habits on board? And as far as how people should read it, that's really kind of individual. My granddaughter who's not quite 20, texted me one day. Nana, she says to me, 
I just came home from class. She attends the Wisconsin University. And I thought I would just start reading your book a little bit. And I could not put it down, she said. I finished it. And then she went on to share with me things that I knew had happened to her, but we weren't talking about it. She went on to share her various different uh, challenges and how this book helped her and how she's changed her life. So she read it in one shot. But I think that it depends upon people's lifestyle. You know, a lot of people have told me that this is not a book that you can read once. This is a book that you keep on your bedside table and that you pick on it in a chapter here or a chapter there um, to reinforce a particular area that you wanted. I have a chapter on how to teach children, your children, healthy habits or or good habits, and uh, a chapter on spirituality. So some people just like to go back to some of these particular areas. Everyone is looking to change their habits, especially if it's obviously a habit that is not wanted or what we would call a negative habit or something that's not healthy for you. And, you know, that falls into a habit and addiction. And I guess that's very, they can be the same and very different at the same time, but you hear many things. So have you ever heard how a lot of people will say, if you can do something for 21 days, you can change a habit Or how can you speak to that? So sometimes you'll hear, at least I hear it a lot in the spiritual world, 21 days, 40 days to create a habit. So sometimes it's not just getting rid of something, it's putting something in and then letting the other thing kind of fall away. But what is your thought on these ideas of breaking a habit in 21 days or breaking a habit in 40 days? What Do you think this is just a myth or do you think there's some validity to it? Actually, it is a myth, and I do talk about that in the book. It really was a misinterpretation. I really can't right now remember the name of the researcher, or it was actually a medical doctor, who did notice, oh, it was a plastic surgeon, I recall now. He observed that a certain number of days, it was about 21 days, that people started to get a habit, and he said something that was like sometimes or it's, you know, not a, not a true statement. Well, people started to read it as a true statement and they started to really look at that 21 days like it is the law or the rule and that's it. But in, further studies have been done on that and it really comes down to that it's more like somewhere between 33 and 66 days. Mm. So it really, that 21 day is a myth. I used it at one time in my chiropractic practice. It may work for some people that it's just 21 days, but that is not a true scientific fact. It could be any time. It could be much longer. uh, It could probably even be less time. Interesting. Thank you. I really appreciate that because we do hear that a lot. You know, this myth of 21 days will break a habit, do this for 21 days. And then also it is linked sometimes to different religions, like for um, Catholicism around Lent, it's the 40 days. So I was brought up Catholic and for 40 days, you let something go. You don't do something for 40 days. Now, obviously that's connected to a sacrifice to do something so that you can kind of fast and do those. I mean, I don't know how many people really abide by it now, unless you're a true practicing Catholic, but they have the 40 days of Lent. And in 40 days of Lent, you know, it's like, what are you giving up? What are you giving up? Mm -hmm. And then it's changed to, well, what are you 
going to do. When I was little, it was, what are you giving up? You know, I'm giving up ice cream or I'm giving up chocolate or whatever. And then as you were getting older, it wasn't so much of what are you giving up? It's what can you do for 40 days? But again, it had this connotation of a number. It wasn't 21 days, but it was 40 days. So it's very interesting. I really appreciate you talking to that point. You know, Tina, what comes to my mind when you say that uh, about 40 days with the Lent, it's kind of like in the Old Testament, Jews went through the wilderness. And how many years was that? 40 years. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, I think that with religion, there's a big connection between these numbers. So I don't think it had anything to do with habit formation. Exactly. Not really habit, but I guess just like a sacrifice or giving something up. But then in today's world, it's become this, can you give up chocolate for 40 days or something? But exactly right. These numbers and just how all religions are very tied together. And that's why I love talking about religion and spirituality, because you can always see some kind of crossover um, when it comes to different rituals and different practices. So who would you say this book is for, Sylvie? Is it across the ages? I think it's pretty much across the ages and even more in thinking that way because of my granddaughter. And then at this very same week, I had an 84-year-old woman who also had some lovely things to say about the book. And it got me thinking, wow, one is not even 20, the other one is 84. What a range here. What a big, long range. I would have to say that it's certainly not for children. It's young adults, but maybe in the 30s, when they've already experienced some hardships in life. So maybe not so very young. And as I said before, my granddaughter had experienced a hardship. And I think that maybe is why she was able to understand the book. I'm not so sure that the average 20-year-old would pick up this book and really pay too much attention. But certainly 30-ish, when you start thinking in terms of where, you know, maybe marriage and having children and being a parent, um, that might be a good time. And, you know, pretty much into into senior years because people can change and do change very much because they have to. Mm. Um, you have to be a senior, you have to make a lot of changes in your life and that becomes something that they can benefit from when they read the book. But it's also for parents in general and for healthcare practitioners to understand that you can't just say, hey, you got to exercise more. You have to stop eating those chocolates. You have to go on a diet. That's not good enough. You've got to really help your patients find the right method so that they can make a habit out of becoming healthier in whatever way they need to, whether it's exercise or whether it's nutrition, anything like that. But you really have to, or even put them onto uh, someone who will teach them the various different habit formation, how to create a habit, how to change a habit. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel that anybody at any age can change a habit, even if you're in your 80s or 90s? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's got to be some motivation. In my book, I talk about the triple A's. And that's really any awareness that you've got a habit that's no longer fitting your needs, that uh, maybe never did. You are aware. And then an action plan. How am I going to go about doing this? And then having an accountability partner. You know, older people now very often leave their homes 
sell their homes, and then they live in these independent communities or skilled nursing or independent nursing facilities. And they have to make a big change in their lives when they move into this kind of uh, different way of living. And I think that a book like that would really help them to understand how change occurs and how it could be done in a systematic way. I think there's a lot of people that just feel like, oh, I've been doing what I'm doing for so long, you know, leave me alone, you know, kind of thing. Like as people get older in their age, they get ornery and they just kind of get set in their ways. But you're right, the the change of lifestyle and sometimes the change of location, moving from their private home into an assisted living or some kind of care perhaps, but that that's a change altogether. There's a dining facility, there's new surroundings, there's new people, and there's always change. So it's very uplifting to think that we can always make changes and always create new habits. So I really like that. So Sylvie, where can people find you? Tell them where they can get the book. How can they connect with you? Well, the book is on Amazon, on the Kindle, as well as a uh, paper uh, version. And it also can be obtained through Barnes & Noble. It won't be, at this point, it's not going to be in the physical locations, but it can be online. So if someone does not have an Amazon account, but they are not too far away from a Barnes & Noble, or they can call one, they can order that book online. And of course, Amazon, they can do either one. Do you have a website or an email that anybody can contact you? Actually, on the, in the book itself, I do give an email. It is drsylvie at healthyhabitsdoctor.com. Perfect. Thank you. And I'm sure that this book is really important to get into a lot of people's hands. I love the fact that your granddaughter really connected with the book. And it, it's so nice when that happens. And it, the fact that she just picked it up and really read it in one sitting and she was able to have some really good insight, that must feel just really good on a personal level as well. Yes, it does. I mean, the feedback that I'm getting from most of the people that are reading it is that it's an easy read It's a quick read. There's a lot of case studies, a lot of stories. It's very relatable. They tell me, oh, yes, I know that habit very well. So that's kind of a feedback. It's just sort of an easy read. But on the other hand, it's a very serious topic because habits can dominate our lives. And some people are completely slaves to their habits. So it is a serious topic. And what I wanted to do was make it a pleasant read without having to be very heavy about it. It's important for people to know that it's a serious book because habits can really run our lives and not be the best for us, but it's also nice to read it in a light format. Well, this has given a a great light on habits. And I know that so many people will be interested in reading the book. And for all the listeners, again, make it a habit. And you can connect with Sylvie. I will put all the information in the show notes and of course on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Before we close, Sylvie, I like to ask all my guests, what would you say intuition means to you? Intuition means being in touch with your inner self and being able to listen to what that inner self is telling you to do or to say or to act. 
I love that. And it sounds like that's what you did. So we are so appreciative that you did listen and you were able to get this book out into the world. We will get it out into many different hands. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Intuitive Woman podcast and sharing your passion and your gift and listening to your intuition. Oh, Tina, I am thanking you for this wonderful opportunity to be able to talk about the book and uh, to be in your program. Thank you. You're welcome. We'll have a great day. Thanks so Thank much. You, you too. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.